And uh, this is the brand new series, uh, as we mentioned, uh, Freedom from Bondage. Freedom from Bondage. And so if you have a Bible, if you take it and open it up with me to the second book of the Bible, which is the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus and chapter number one, Exodus chapter number one. We'll be, we'll be reading there in just a few moments. As we read God's Word, you will, you will find over and over again that God was able to deliver uh, out of bondage. In this case, the book of Exodus chapter 1 is referring to the nation of Israel. It says in verse number 1, Now these are the names of the children of Israel which came into Egypt. Every man in his household came with Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All, and all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were 70 souls. For Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died, and all his brethren, in all that generation. Verse 7. And the children of Israel were fruitful, and increased abundantly, and multiplied, and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. So they were everywhere. And they're talking about the land of Egypt. But Israel was there because of Joseph going there, and that's, at the, that's part of the book of Genesis, to get that story. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, verse 8, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more mightier than we. Come, come on, let us deal wisely with them. Lest they multiply and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us and so get them up out of the land. So, with that as a backdrop, in this particular series, we're going to see that God not only has the power to deliver us, uh, but he, from bondage. Now, we may not have the bondage of Israel tonight, but everybody has a level of bondage. Everybody has something that is... Um, holding us back in an area of our life, yet God says, I can help you with that. And not only does he have the power to do it, but we're going to learn that he delights in doing it. So this, this particular passage of Scripture, Exodus chapter 1, was written long before Babylon or Persia would become a great powerhouse. This is Egypt which was the powerhouse of the day. It was the superpower, if you will, of the day. In Joshua 24, it might be in the notes, otherwise we can turn to it quickly in our Bible. In Joshua 24, this is now years later. Joshua 24 and verse 17, 
It says there, For the Lord our God, He it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of what, church? Bondage. Do you see the word there? Out of the house of bondage. And which did those great signs. You remember those great signs? Ten of them, right? Ten plagues that the Lord did. And preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we pass. And so Joshua reminded the people years later of how God delivered them um, from the house of bondage. So the book of Exodus, just a little bit of background here, not much, but the book of Exodus is obviously listed as the second book of the Bible as you see that, remember that our Bible is put together in subject matter. It is not put together chronologically. We believe the oldest book in the Bible is actually the book of Job. But chronolo- or subject speaking, subjectly speaking, if that's a word, uh, this is called the Pentateuch or the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Exodus being the second book. And as we said already, Egypt was the dominant world power at this time. Babylon and Persia would both be featured as well later on in the Old Testament. But that was still hundreds of years yet in the making. Exodus uh, begins around 1850 B.C., the, the, the time period of the book of Exodus. And... It is, there's a summary of Joseph and the rest of the Israelite tribes coming to Egypt. We just read that in our text. When Joseph was a ruler under Pharaoh. Now, we don't have time to give that story. We've given it before, but how Joseph ended up there, which looked like a bad deal, but ended up being the sovereignty of God and, and God working in a mighty way. And so later... A man by the name of Moses, maybe you've heard that name before. Later, a man by the name of Moses would be born around 1525. And then about 1445, Israel would leave uh, Egypt and they would be delivered from the house of bondage, as Joshua had said. Let's look at verse 7 of our text. And it tells us that the children of Israel were fruitful. They increased abundantly. Their families kept growing and growing and growing. And God was blessing them. And it's really an interesting way. It says that the land was filled with them. But we're going to learn that bondage would come to them. And bondage would come quickly because the Pharaoh that was in charge now the Bible said did not know Joseph as the one previous. So, let's look at the outline. Number one, number one is a hateful culture. A hateful culture. Even though the children of Israel were in bondage, they were growing in number and becoming fruitful. We mentioned that. But all of a sudden, now, the spirit of the culture toward them would change. They were slaves. 
They were slaves for the Egyptian people, and that relationship was going, I guess, well, as you, as you could say, but uh, again, they were growing, and now they were becoming more in number than the Egyptians. Nextly, they were unfamiliar with Joseph. They were unfamiliar with Joseph. The blank is Joseph. Egypt's history was filled with many different dynasties. And in the 17th dynasty, approximately, is when the Hyksos dynasty, or the Hyksos dynasty, was in power when Joseph came to Egypt. Now Joseph would eventually, in that time, Joseph came in as just little old Joseph, in fact, he was in prison at one point. Next thing you know, Joseph is second in command under Pharaoh. But it's the 18th dynasty, that was a bad number, I guess, that the new king did not know Joseph, and so his ruling would become in more of an evil way. So he looked at these people not just as brickmakers, but he looked at them as very troublesome. We've got to figure this out. We've got to get this under control. Turn to Acts 24. Acts chapter 24, please. So what are we going to do with these people that are growing and growing and growing in number? Pardon me, we find that no matter what time period it is, Christians will be viewed in certain ways, Christians will be viewed as trouble. Here comes trouble. You know, here comes the Bible thumper. Here comes, you know, John the Baptist or whatever. Acts 24, 5, the Bible says, For we have found this man, it's talking about Paul. Notice what it says. We have found this man a pestilent fellow. Shorten up the word pestilent. What do you get? Pest. (laughs) You know, we're tired of this guy. We're tired of what he's preaching. We're tired of what he stands for. He's a pest. (laughs) He's a mover of sedition among all the Jews and throughout the world. Notice, and he's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. (laughs) That's quite the terminology. A ringleader. You know, he's kind of like the, the, he's in charge of the Christian gang. I mean, they didn't have such a thing. That's not what it is. But he's the ringleader. If we can get rid of him, then we can get rid of the whole mess. So that was, it was toward Israel in Pharaoh's day. It was toward Paul in the early church in the book of Acts. But yet, again, not because of us, but because of the theme. What is the theme in this lesson? One, delivered by God's grace. And yet we sit here tonight and we still have many freedoms. Praise the Lord for that. 
We have many freedoms when it comes to the Scripture and becomes to the Word of God. Now I will say, not in a, to be negative, but I will say that some of those are, 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 are going away. Some of those freedoms are going away. And we are becoming the, we are becoming the, um, our culture is becoming intolerant. This is the picture we see in Exodus. It's the picture we see today. If we don't go along with culture, if we don't go along with what everybody else is doing, then we're the enemy. But remember, remember we've said this over and over and over again. The Bible is truth. Truth is not relative by time period. If, it's, if, it, if the Bible is going to be relative, then it's not truth. It's true regardless of what the culture says. It's true regardless of what even leaders say. And so, taking a stand, yes, we need to take a stand. We need to take it biblically, compassionately, and uh, because, again, um, these things, these times that we live in are that the sand is definitely shifting. So, unfamiliar with Joseph, number two, under, under number one, unfamiliar with Jehovah. So, Pharaoh would have been known for, for worshiping many gods. So, he was an idolater. Exodus chapter 5. Let's go back to our text. Exodus chapter 5 and verse number 2. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice to let Israel go? I know, I know not the Lord. I don't care about Jehovah. I don't care about the Lord. You know, who's that? I don't answer to him. That's because he was unfamiliar with Jehovah. He was he 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 had a he had a God for every day of the week. Not necessarily that might be a little bit of an exaggeration, but he was an idolater. He worshiped false gods. Can, can we see it looking any different in 2023? I might say that spiritually speaking, we are living in a culture in 2023 that does not know God. Or they have a, or they have a view of God that doesn't match what the Bible says. Again, I'm not, it's not my job to defend God. He doesn't need any help. The Bible doesn't even defend God. The Bible says in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. There's no explanation, just in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The Bible says in Psalm 96.3, this is the opportunity that we have today. Declare His glory among the heathen. His wonders among all people. I think sometimes we get the idea that heathen people are in way over in uh, the jungles of wherever. Well, that might be the case. 
But we might have some right here in New Westminster. That doesn't mean I'm better either. This isn't about, you know, it's just, we could have, we could have them anywhere, okay? So we have the opportunity to declare whose glory? Not our glory, but the glory of God. And so Israel had a chance as well in this day to be living amongst the people that worship false gods. They had an opportunity to declare the one true God and the glory of the one true, true God. We might say it this way. Someone else has said it before. The darker the night, the brighter the light. Let's not be intimidated by the darkness. Let's look at it as an opportunity to say, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And go back to Sunday school and sing that song. So unfamiliar with Joseph, unfamiliar with Jehovah. Thirdly, unfamiliar with the people. Verses 9 and 10, we won't reread them. The Egyptian Pharaoh hated the Israelites because he didn't know the God of Joseph. In addition to that, he was a little bit intimidated by the growth of the people. Previous Pharaohs had accepted and welcomed them. Even again, as we said earlier, encouraging leadership among them. Look at verse 13 and 14 of our text, please. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, in mortar and in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. All their service, wherein they made them serve, was with rigor. That word rigor means harshness with severity. Harshness with severity. Cruelly. Many people believe that they were uh, beaten along the way and whipped along the way. And, uh, <coughs> pardon me, the only materials they were given to make these bricks for the giant Egyptian structures were straw and mud. They have a mud brick on display at the British Museum that is stamped with something of Ramses II from the 19th dynasty. Now remember... This is the 18th dynasty that we're talking about. So the next dynasty, they actually have a brick from that time period on display uh, there in a British museum. They were under intense persecution. Great affliction. But what did God do? They multiplied. (laughs) What did God do? Bless them. How about Deuteronomy chapter 4? Quickly, let's turn over there. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Verse 20. But the Lord hath taken you and brought you forth out of the iron furnace, even out of Egypt, to be unto him a people of inheritance as ye are this day. God is always working. God always is having a plan. God always has a plan. God doesn't waste a difficulty. Have you ever heard someone say that before? God doesn't waste a trial. I believe that's very true. 
A challenging time can come into your life. A challenging time can come into my life. God isn't just sitting up in heaven throwing down difficult into your lap wondering if you're going to squirm or if you're going to have faith or whatever. No, God's, God's using all of these things for our good and for an opportunity to bring Him glory. Now, we don't like them sometimes. I'll be the first one to sign that list. But there is a greater purpose. There is a greater reason for it. Isaiah 48.10, Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. So, number one is a hateful culture. Number two is a harmful culture. A harmful culture. Pharaoh realized that his plan to destroy the current generation of the Israelites by making them work hard wasn't working. Man, I'm pushing them to the end of their selves. I'm making them work harder and harder and harder. And the only thing that seems to happen is they seem to grow more and more. So he came up with another plan. Let's go to plan B. And that is a hateful plot. A hateful plot. Let's look what this is in back in Exodus, our text, Exodus chapter 1. Pharaoh gives some very startling, he gives some very evil commands to the Hebrew midwives. Look in verse 15, please. And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of the one was Shifra, and the name of the other, Pua. Here's what he says, verse 16. When ye do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women, and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him. He says, we got to stop the population thing here. So the best way to do that is just to kill all the boys. If we can kill all the Hebrew boys, well, you know, after a period of time, that means there's not going to be any more children. And we can decrease the population here a little bit and maybe hold them off. That's what he tells them to do. This is obviously completely against the heart of God. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse number 5. The Bible says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. When the Bible speaks of, uh, it, when God speaks in the Bible of Jesus being in Mary's womb, the Bible speaks about the Holy Child. The Bible clearly recognizes life at conception. And so this was a very hateful decree from Pharaoh. We have some statistics here regarding how society, even today, this is a curriculum that was written by uh, an American pastor, and so he's using different statistics from the United States of America. And we are living in a society today, whether it be there or here, where even in the very last weeks of pregnancy, 
An abortion can take place. 19% of pregnancies in the United States end in abortion. 19%. 879,000 babies are murdered each year through abortion. That's 2,400 every day. 61 million have been, babies have been aborted since 1973, Roe versus Wade. And 58% of Americans believe abortion should be legal. Now God places a high value on life. So should we. Whether it's then or at the end of life. And you know even, even today what that push is all about. And I don't want to get into all of that, but euthanasia is not of God at all. So this was a hateful plot that Pharaoh says to the midwives, boy comes out, kill it. Then we see, praise God, we see a higher perspective. A higher perspective. Look at verse 17 of our chapter. Exodus 1.17. See, God has a very high perspective on your life. Think about this. Some of us here tonight, I myself included at times, we might wonder, what is my life all about? You know, sometimes you might sit there and you might think, okay, I'm this, I'm, I'm this, many, I'm, I'm this many years old now. Uh, I'm right here at this point. All this stuff has happened to me in my life. And I'm here tonight, and whether you're young or maybe not so young, that really doesn't matter. We could be sitting here tonight and in our 60s, or we could be sitting here tonight and in our 30s or whatever. We could be a teenager here tonight and sometimes wonder, okay, what is this for? What is this life all about? And you know, I want to say that God has a very high perspective on your life. Because you, uh, you have been created in the image of God. You have been created by God to bring glory to God. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. The Bible says, we love Him because He first loved us. You might think tonight, I just, honestly, Pastor Turner, I just don't know what, my, what purpose my life has. You see, that's the, that's the enemy Whispering in your ear. Because your life has great purpose. Every life has great purpose. That's why these Hebrew midwives stood up against the tyranny. Look at verse 17. Exodus 1, 17. But the midwives feared who? Who? God. They didn't fear Pharaoh. You know what we need? That's what we need. A greater fear of God. Not of government, of God. Not of one another. No, we, we, we fear God. Not in a sense of we're scared of God. That's not what it means. It's a reverential respect for God. They feared God. And notice what it says. And did not as the king of Egypt commanded them. So what did they do? They said no to the government that was in power and said yes to the God of heaven. They said no to the <coughs> pardon me, to the evil ruler and said yes to God. The midwives fear God. 
No doubt these midwives had seen thousands of babies born. No doubt every time that one of those babies were born and their eyes opened up and their mouth opened up and they began to cry and all of that and the, the fingers began to move, no doubt uh, there was something that, that was in these midwives that they feared God. But in addition to that, here is an innocent child. when you see that, how can you deny the existence of God? The miracle of birth. It's incredible. Didn't matter what the king told them to do. At this moment, they said, we know that God is the giver and taker of life, not us. And so they feared God. He was the most powerful man in the world, by the way. The midwives could have been afraid of him. Despite this, they chose to follow God. Acts 5.29 Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Proverbs 9 and verse 10 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. I think this is something that we want to make sure that our children, all of them, understand at an early age. God is worthy of our reverence. God is worthy of our fear. It's a reverence. You see, the midwives obeyed God rather than the king. They knew who God was. They knew who the king was. They also knew who God was. They weren't concerned in some way. They must not have been concerned about their own safety. Look at verse 20, please. Therefore, God dealt well with the midwives. And the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. And verse 21, and it came to pass because the midwives feared God that he made them what? Houses. I looked at this. There's some different things people think about it, interpreting wise. And, but some people believe that God gave them families and God gave them children of their own because of the stand that they took for God. They were, they were wanting to be uh, favored by God more than favored by Pharaoh. I, you know, I wonder, I wrote down in the margin of my notes, do I want to be favored by man or do I want to be favored by God? You see, favored by man is only temporal. It only lasts for a little while. It might only last for a week, depending on what somebody wants us to do. What are they going to want us to do next? So we have a hateful culture we have a harmful culture. But then number three, we have a helpful hand. A helpful hand. God always makes a way of escape. The situation with the midwives took place decades before God would later show His power through plagues and the exodus and deliver Israel through Moses' leadership. But it's something very interesting happens before that. 
Let's not go that far ahead. Let's think about the, let's look at the mighty deliverance that God provided right here. Letter A, a or, or uh, number one, a parental protection. So the decree is, if a man-child is born to the uh, midwives, they were told to kill the baby immediately. <coughs> Pardon me, but not everyone had a midwife. So, this plan didn't work. So Pharaoh, strike one, strike two. So now he's got to try something else. Verse number... 21, or 22. And Pharaoh charged all his people saying, okay, so now, not just to the two midwives, but to everybody in the nation of Israel that's in Egypt, if you have a man-child, verse 22, look what he tells them to do. They are to kill the baby. Not just kill it, but they're to throw it in the river. This is his third attempt now to squelch the growth of the nation of Israel. Every son that is born ye shall cast into the river, and every daughter ye shall save alive. Verse uh, Chapter 2. And there went a man of the house of Levi, and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived, okay, and she bare a what? Chapter 2, verse 2, she bare a son. Okay, so what are they supposed to do with this son? According to Pharaoh, they're supposed to take the son and throw it in the river. Just throw it in the river. And obviously, it's not going to survive. And when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him Three months. So, basically, um, Moses' mother, this is Moses, by the way. We don't know that yet, I guess, from what we're reading. But it's, uh, it, it is Moses. She hides him in the house for three months, but now she can't hide him any longer. Either, maybe he's colicky or something, I don't know. She, she can't hide him any longer because he's making too much noise. So she's got to come up with a plan. Verse number 3. And when she could not longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein. Verse 3. And she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. So she made a little boat for baby Moses. And takes it down by the, I call them cattails. I don't know if that's what they had over there in Egypt or not. But she puts them down at the, at the, at the side of the river. And she has Moses' sister keeping an eye. Verse number 4. And his sister stood afar off watching to wit what would be done to him. This is an unbelievable step of faith for Moses' mother. Look what God does. This is, if you know the story, this is a miracle. 
you don't know the story, you'll see that it's a miracle. Verse 5. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river. And the maidens walked along by the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. So Pharaoh's daughter sees this ark. The maids grab the ark, bring it to Pharaoh's daughter, and she sees who is inside. The Bible says in verse number 6 that she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. Notice these next few words. And she had compassion on him. This is Pharaoh's daughter. She should have immediately said, throw it in the river. But she didn't. She had compassion on this three-month-old baby. She said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Can you imagine what must have been going through the mind of that sister watching this from a distance? Can you imagine what must have been going through the mind of Pharaoh's daughter? And maybe there was a battle going on that we don't have in the Bible that was going on in her mind. Throw it in the river, keep it. Throw it in the river, keep it. Or maybe because it says she had compassion, there was no thought of even throwing this child in the river. But God put her there because God always has a plan. God has a plan that's working for our good. This is the most powerful man in the world, his daughter. And yet, Moses' family as well, he, you know, they're living in this as well. <clears throat> and they have the faith um, that was greater faith than fear. Oh, I have to admit to you that there's been many times when fear has overcome my faith. And it shouldn't be that way. But I'm just telling you from my own testimony, it happens. But here, the Bible says, as, back, as we go ahead to the New Testament, I'm just going to read it for you. Hebrews 11.23 By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Can I tell you tonight, we don't need to be afraid of this world system. We need to fear the one true God. That doesn't mean we're going out looking for a fight either, by the way. But we're going out trusting in the God of heaven. Trusting in His goodness. Trusting in His grace. Trusting in His provision. Somehow, Jochebed, the mother of Moses, can you imagine the day that she would walk down to this Nile River and, and she would take her little baby in this makeshift ark. The Nile River is known for its crocodiles. The Nile River is known possibly for other uh, animals of sorts that would have delighted in a, a, a little uh, baby like this. I don't mean to sound cruel or any way, but this was not a place for three-month-old babies. And yet Moses' mother took this ark of bulrushes. Many people believe that this substance uh, was papyrus it was waterproof by how she treated it and trusted God to do the rest. 
Psalm 18.2, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler, the horn of my salvation and my high tower. So we have a parental protection. Nextly, we have a providential protection. A providential protection. Look at chapter 2. Verse 9. You talk about miraculous God. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, This is now... Let's go back to verse 7. Otherwise, we're going to miss the context. Then said his, then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Moses' sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women? She was right where she was supposed to be. Very good admonition. When your parents tell you to do something, stay right and be right where they told you to be. Because it's a good thing she didn't wander away. And buddy, I'll tell you, the courage she had to go up to Pharaoh's daughter and say, would you like me to go get a a woman of the Hebrews to take care of the baby? Hmm. Pharaoh's, and to nurse for thee, verse 7. And Pharaoh's daughter said, go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. Not just any of the Hebrew women. But obviously Moses' sister is going to go to her mother, his mother too. The Bible says in verse 9, Now Pharaoh's daughter says to Jochebed, the lady that just put her son there by the river, take this child away and nurse it for me. This part is amazing. And I will give thee thy wages. She put the baby in the river by faith. God put Pharaoh's daughter there in just the right time. The servant saw the baby. Moses' sister comes down at just the right time, brings Moses' mother in, and now Pharaoh's daughter says, would you please nurse this baby, and I'll pay you whatever wages it requires. So now she's going to take care of Moses and get paid for it. What a deal. That's how God works, though. We love that part of it, but would we love putting the baby in the Nile River in an ark? I don't know. See, that's the faith. We like the idea of, wow, that's great. But there was an act of faith first. God always honors faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. But he always honors faith. He was not only found, but he was found by someone with a position to be able to keep him and a heart to care for him. This is not uh, luck. This is not coincidence. This was an act of God. And I believe God still works this way today. Only God could direct this way. Only God could guide this way. You see, I'm in a, I'm in a, really bad situation or there's just a lot of things that are going on not necessarily a sinful situation but i'm in a difficult situation proverbs 3 5 and 6 we close with this proverbs 3 5 and 6 trust in the lord with all thine heart lean not unto thine own understanding 
In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. In all thy ways, in all thy ways, not in some of your ways, not in most of them, but in all of them. Maybe you're in a situation right now, and it seems a little bit out of control, not sure what to do. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. And he shall direct thy path. Lesson one in our series, Freedom from Bondage, is delivered by the grace of God. This is not just a one and done story in the Bible of deliverance by grace. And by the way, this, I don't look at this story tonight as just something for me to look at and say, wow, that was really cool for Jochebed, for uh, Moses' dad, for Moses, for his sister. That was really a, just a really cool thing. No. I look at that and I know that God will take care of us. God will take care of you. God will take care of me in the very same way. Remember, though, This whole thing was brought on by faith. Faith that went against the grain of the culture. It went against what Pharaoh said to do. The most powerful man alive at that time. 